the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Carol is a nationally known gerontologist. She's executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and is uh, involved in caregiving and issues involving seniors here and across the country, and we are delighted to do this show with her week after week right here on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Speaking of caregiving, Sherry Snelling will be joining us in just a few minutes. She is the CEO of Caregiving Club and wrote an incredible book, A Cast of Caregivers, Celebrity Stories to Help You Prepare to Care. And I look forward to talking to her. Well, and if you read at all in the caregiving space, uh, you will recognize uh, Sherry Snelling's name and her work. Uh, she's quite prolific in some of her work in giving advice for caregiving. And she's been everywhere, on the networks, everywhere. in print. Everywhere. And she's here. On, with us. With us today. In just a few minutes. Oh, by the way, did it really happen? Well, you know, on this show, we start out, and I was I was listening to the to the show air last week when my family was in town for a graduation. Um, And I thought, wow, we really do talk about some strange things. So why stop now? I agree. (laughs) And this one was from the New York Times that scientists made snails remember something that never happened to them. Yes. Which is one of those things that, to me, it just it scares me. <laughs> it's like the movie Inception, where you give somebody a memory that didn't happen, and everything goes terribly, terribly wrong. I don't, you're looking, maybe you didn't see that movie with... I didn't see Inception. Didn't, oh, ugh, it's, all that, it's along that same line. But the but, whole idea of teaching snails stuff... Is, now, that part... That's but, pretty scary. No, that, to me, that was funny. I, I enjoyed the whole idea of the snails in the lab <laughs> looking at the scientist. But anyway, at UCLA, um, they transferred molecules from the brains of snails who had been trained. And what they had trained them to do, poor little snails, they got a tiny electric shock, which is not very nice. But when they do that, their little you know antenna kind of retract. And so the ones that had happened before... When they pick them up the second time, they're like, ooh, and they retract their little antenna, and they keep it retracted longer because they're worried about this little electric shock. So then they took their brain molecules, their RNA, which is, you know, if you remember way back in high school, that's the stuff that tells— Ribonucleic acid. Yeah. We, thank you. Show off. But <laughs> I, I minored in biology. Yeah, but it's—and so what, do, what does— RNA do, Ron. Well, it facilitates conversation between cells. So it's, t- it's giving the message. So they coded in the trained snail RNA, and the little untrained snails who have never been shocked, lo and behold, they get picked up, they retracted their little antenna, and they stay curled up for longer like something had happened to them. They remembered something that never happened. Like the movie Inception. Like the movie Inception. So anyway, I you know the interesting thing about it and what's helpful in a snail training kind of way is that they're studying what's memory and what's not memory. And they know that this really is memory because when they give them, you know, uh, something that blocks the transmission of the RNA, the memory didn't transfer. And so they can kind of replicate that. And, and hopefully, you know, that will help us in any of the diseases that change memory. Oh, if someone has amnesia. Or if someone has amnesia. So that you can think of several things. But please do not do this to your, to your snails in your backyard because these are very specific snails. These are trained scientists. And you don't want to go around shocking snails. No. That would be mean. No. We just put salt circles around them. 
it, which is, I, you know, equally mean. <laughs> it's not worse. But that way you're hands-off <laughs> in terms of controlling. Yes. If they choose to touch the, the salt. salt. Yes. All right. Speaking of that. Speaking of memory. It's on the tip of my tongue. How often have we all said that? Well, that's what I was just thinking because it's a daily occurrence, I don't know, maybe more than one time a day, where I'm trying to remember a name or a word, and and these do increase as we age, which must make me about 150. Um, But but, not a sign of dementia. But not a sign of dementia. No. So they took volunteers, and they were, you know, this is basically our brain's uh, uh, inability to access the sound the word makes. Our brain did not forget the word. It's in there. It's just we can't get that word to sound out between you know our brain and our mouth and so they they had past studies have shown you know there's a a relationship between fitness and memory or cognition and so they specifically tried exercise on 20 year olds and on people that were 60 to 80 to to see did it help their word recall and and they used on this particular test they use words you know that you don't commonly use like decanter i don't I don't say decanter very often, um, and so they might be a little bit harder for the 20-year-olds. So sure enough, the 20-year-olds did not have as good of a vocabulary, but they had better recall. But with the fitness um, test, the older folks were were able to recall more words more accurately. And so there is this relationship. Once again, what is the magic pill, Ron? It's exercise. It's always exercise. It's always exercise. However. And we keep looking for it, but it's still exercise. And if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio, and we're going to be joined in just a few minutes by Sherry Snelling, CEO of Caregiving Club and an author well-known in the caregiver field. I keep reading more and more about reducing the total number of minutes spent in exercise, but still getting value. I'm waiting for it to get down to about a minute. Well, you know, we did read about the two minutes. I think we've gotten it down to. So just wait, maybe, you know, a minute of vigorous exercise a couple of times a day may someday do something. When something is on the tip of your tongue, what do you do to try to recapture it? Well, you know, most of the time, you know, struggle, struggle, maybe if it doesn't, I just let it go. Because actually when you're busy not focusing on it is when the word comebacks. That can take anywhere from an hour to two days is waiting for it to come to you. But it ultimately will come to you. Eventually, yes. Well, I do the same thing. I I just, I forget it and move on. Yeah, because there's no sense dwelling on it. And and then, of course, once I remember it, (laughs) the words I can't recall, I forget then the names. I'll forget them again. I don't know. It's just those are the black hole that eats particular words and names. There is a black hole that does that. I know. And I don't want any neurologists out there diagnosing (laughs) me. (laughs) You stay away from Carol, you hear? (laughs) That's right. And you're not ready for this, but how do we find the right nursing home? Well, this, um, you know, Paula Spann is a, a writer for the New York Times, and she does wonderful work. And she, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but she was looking about how do you find, you know, a nursing home, which can be terribly confusing. And what she looked at was Yelp. Which, you know, I, I hadn't used Yelp Those are reviews a lot. that people write. Yeah, reviews that people write. And I know that um, someone on our team uses Yelp religiously to find restaurants in any city I go to. She drags out the phone, gets on Pratt. the Yelp, and... You know, all everything is there, and she'll pick a restaurant based on Yelp. And and those kinds of social media apps didn't review medical services or nursing homes in the past. But what they found is now they're starting to. And and so the bottom line is the quality star rating for nursing homes. Right? If you went on to Nursing Home Compare um, or the Nursing Home Inspect which are two sites that give you the star ratings, the quality ratings, you know, what you're going to find is a lot of inaccurate information. And this is according to the New York Times, and those of us in the business know this because so many facilities, they're allowed to self-report. Right. So they report the staff to um, resident ratio and how many hours they worked. Well, you know, 
that maybe they're remembering incorrectly. I don't know. But it, it's not exactly accurate. So, the, you know, when they do an on-site review, they get accurate information. But the self-reporting um, is, is a problem. And then there's that sort of those intangibles. You know, my mother was in a facility, and I could tell you which staff, you know, cared, had a sense of humor. How did the place feel when I walked? That's not, you know, walked into the building. Um, that's not something that's a star rating. Nobody's going to rate that. But it's important. But it's important. It's two totally different things. So Yelp is measuring sort of those intangible family things like, you know, staff has a good sense of humor or they handled things well when I got upset or didn't understand. Uh, and so it's it's sort of a different rating system. And I think that Paula's bottom line on this is that, A, you need multiple sources to find good nursing home care. And so you do want to look at the star ratings. You do want to know who has had reports, who has had financial payments withheld because they're in, in really big trouble in terms of operating a nursing home in a healthcare facility, which is what a nursing home is. Um, but you also want to find out how do people feel about the care that they got there. And that's I, Yelp. I remember recently at a doctor's office, they had a sign on the reception desk, if you like our service, give us a review on Yelp. And that was at a doctor's office. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, that's it, it's something we're all looking at more and more reviews. We're all going online. And actually, when you think about, um, you know, like the restaurants, it's huge in the restaurant industry now because so many people are relying on the open tables and the Yelps to find And when they get a negative review, it's a huge challenge to get that changed and overcome with positive results. Right, which is, again, reason, you know, and I know my sister is very big on shopping, well, not shopping, but reviewing things online. And, and she goes to multiple sources because, you, you know, you don't want to just take one person's word for it or when it's one reviewer. You know, like the, the example Paula gave was that this was a nursing home in a town. It only had seven reviews. And so maybe five of them were positive and one hated it. Right. Because they had a really bad experience And one the five day. were all employees. You don't know. Well, and that's it. And, and, you know, you have to look at who owns these websites that you're reviewing as well. Uh, you know, there's been stories about some people buy websites that sound like nursinghomereview.com. Huh. And then you find out that a nursing home industry person owns the site and is doing the stars. Or the Russians. Or, or, or any nationality. I don't know. Pick a country these days. It might be involved. Now, you came across a really neat article, which we don't have time to cover right now. Can lifestyle changes remove plaque? And we'll talk about that on the next Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Up next, we're going to be talking with Sherry Snelling, CEO of Caregiving Club. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, as we promised, we are delighted to deliver Sherry Snelling to you here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Sherry is the CEO of Caregiving Club and author of a cast of caregivers, Celebrity Stories, to help you prepare to care. You hear us at 930 AM, The Answer. And Sherry Snelling, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Tell us, what is it about caregiving that attracted you and why? 
Well, you know, I came into this both personally and professionally. Um, I was working for a very large health and wellness company and um, managed a program that provided um, benefits and services to family caregivers, particularly those that were on the job and working where you're, you're juggling and balancing your family life, your job and your career, and now all of a sudden you've also got you know, an older loved one or someone to care for. And then on a personal level, I was a backup caregiver for my mom, who cared for both of my maternal grandparents. And more recently, in fact, when I was writing my book, I went through a two-year period caring for my father in the last years of his life and then went straight into helping, again, my mom care for my stepfather. Well, it sounds like a lot of very practical experience. Well, it, it was. It was great from both perspectives because not only did I obviously go through that caregiving journey that you know I write about it's really a role that all of us will probably wind up playing in our lives but then I also got to talk to so many different family caregivers across the country and the different research and then certainly interviews I did for my book and also uh, through the program that I, I ran and, and really understood a lot of the special challenges and a lot of the issues that that we face as family caregivers. Well, I love the title of the book, A Cast of Caregivers, and your celebrity stories. So talk a little bit about the book, the idea for the book, and, and whose stories you're, you're sharing. Sure. Well, I, I was, you know, I was lucky. I started writing for uh, a couple of different online media outlets, one of which is um, PBS's Next Avenue, which um, focuses on the 50-plus, uh, folks 50-plus. And um, what I did is I started interviewing people that I came across who had a certain form of celebrity, but who had also been caregivers. And as I said, I was very lucky because I had Joan London and Holly Robinson-Pete and Alan Osmond of the original Osmond Brothers. I mean, all of these people were willing to talk to me about the experience that they had in caregiving, and that kind of became the foundation for the book. But then I also wanted it to be practical. I wanted to give great tips about, okay, you know, what to expect when you're caregiving, you know, that famous book, what to expect when you're expecting. I wanted it to be that, but with a a nod towards caring for a loved one um, with a chronic illness or a disability or just getting older. And then also, how do we balance that self-care? I think that's the biggest thing I saw with caregivers is we often give up that me time, that ability to find balance in our own lives. Uh, while we're caring for a loved one. And that became a really key component of what I wanted to help people with. Now, that was true of the celebrity caregivers as well as caregivers everywhere. They simply ignore themselves. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, a couple of reactions or comments that I heard when I wrote the articles and then obviously when I published the book was, well, you know, celebrities have all kinds of money and they can have an entourage that helps them out. And the reality is, while certainly many of them have a lot more great financial resources at their fingertips, they still go on the emotional journey. You know, it's very hard to disconnect yourself from, like in uh, Susie Ormond's case, her mother had dementia and she wound up caring for her and even though she's a financial guru there were still things she didn't know about uh, long-term care facilities and costs and dementia care and so I think that you know it really is the great equalizer because caregiving cuts across all socioeconomic boundaries it doesn't matter where you live what you do how much you make your religion your race your age even Um, it really is the great leveler in our society and something I think we need to prepare for more. Well, I think you make a great point because, you know, the the caregivers kind of fall into two holes. One is that they feel so alone and that they're the only one. Um, And then they think that somehow they should know this intuitively, you know, and, and we take parenting classes now, but there aren't caregiving classes. You know, it's incredibly confusing, the healthcare system, the long-term care system, uh, and then putting your time management on top of all of that. um, It's a lot for you to suddenly be able to do effortlessly. You know, you're absolutely right. And everything, you know, unfortunately is still fragmented in this caregiving world, and you're kind of a feeling on your own. Um, the good news is there are some terrific resources out there, and certainly a lot of employers now have really 
become more in tune with what's happening in the workplace and that we're shifting almost from a child care focus with our, our workforce to now having elder care be a critical issue. So I think one of the things that we want to, to get caregivers to understand is to, to reach out and to talk about your situation. You know, so often we keep it to ourselves. We don't talk about it. And that's when you don't find the resources and don't find the help and you, you wind up taking it on yourself. And as we know, that becomes the health spiral of chronic stress and burnout that so many caregivers face. Now, for those of you who just joined us, we will share with you who we are talking with. It's Sherry Snelling, CEO of Caregiving Club and author of a cast of caregivers, celebrity stories to help you prepare to care. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, Sherry, when we were preparing for the show, you were talking about putting putting you into the caregiving equation and that you wanted to suggest some ways that caregivers can find wellness and balance. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've seen is that, you know, we know so much more about health where there's so much great information out there now, but we don't listen to our bodies. Um, they talk to us every day, but we kind of turn out, uh, tune out what they're telling us. And one of the things that happens, particularly in caregiving, because we aren't as prepared as maybe we, we should be, it becomes a crisis situation. It's highly emotional. We also think of it as a sprint. Okay, I can drop everything right now and just take care of this issue with mom or, you know, uh, dad or whomever. Um, but it's really a marathon. We know from statistics that most um, caregivers on average will spend between four and five years in their caregiving role. But if you have a loved one diagnosed with earlier onset Alzheimer's, um, they could live for another 18, 20 years. So it's a very long journey for many of us. And I think you have to be ready to take that marathon and, and really know what you're, you're looking at. I write about the seven ways to wellness, which you probably don't have enough time on the show to talk about all seven ways. But I think what's really important is to look at what chronic stress can do to us. There's been some science in a, in a wonderful book called The Telomere Effect. And I think a lot of us have not really paid attention to stress because it's invisible. It's not something we naturally see on our bodies like a wound um, that we might have, but it's doing damage internally. And, and one of the things that was so great about this Telomere Effect book, it talks about the fact that one year of chronic stress actually takes six years off your life. And so there are ways for us to manage that chronic stress, but knowing that, I think, is really important and understanding how do I balance and how do I find that, that refresher so that this stress doesn't really overtake me. Well, the telomere project that you're talking about, we, you know, recently the Women Charitable Foundation, we offer a stress-busting program, which is an evidence-based program for stress management, and we're working with the Barshop Institute at the University of Texas Health Science Center, and they just finished a telomere study showing that the stress management, particular our stress-busting program, was able to prevent those telomeres from getting lopped off. Which is fantastic. I mean, if we can stop that, you know, if you think visually, the telomeres that I always like to talk to people about is, if you think of your, your chromosomes as shoelaces, what happens with chronic stress is the end of the shoelaces, these telomeres start to fray. And the shorter they get, again, that's taking years off your life. So if you can do what the program you just talked about can do, which is to uh, prevent that fraying, that's really where we want to get people to focus. But it's hard, and you need to find outlets for your anger, your frustration, your grief, your depression, your sadness, all of the things that we know can be part of that caregiving experience. And that outlet should not be in a bottle. Exactly. And, you know, it's also not one size fits all. Um, there's been some great studies about the difference between men and women and how they deal with stress. Um, this is probably a, a more of a stereotype, but we know that for men, a lot of times it's a physical outlet. It's getting out and shooting a few hoops or, you know, throwing around a baseball with, with your son or Go to the you know, gym. doing golf. Yeah, exactly. Or going to the gym. For women, many of us, it's getting together and being able to talk with friends to vent. And whether that's, you know, our friends or whether it's maybe a support group, just being able to share and feel 
like you're part of a group that's going through this that can and they can give you some great insights is really helpful. Well, Sherry, you, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to add that that I'm so glad that you pointed out because men and women do react differently to stress and then spousal caregivers and kids who are taking care of their parents also are in different places on that stress. Absolutely. And I think the one thing about caregiving that I would love for your listeners to know is that, again, we've always thought of the caregivers being kind of women, maybe a boomer age woman who's taking care of an older mom. But we now know from reports from ARP and others that, um, you know, 40% of all caregivers, primary caregivers are men. 25% of family caregivers are millennials. So we've got much younger people now stepping into that caregiving role. And then a wonderful group called the American Association of of Caregiving Youth uh, found that 1.5 million children under the age of 18 are primary caregivers for either a parent with a disability or chronic illness or a grandparent, and typically that grandparent has Alzheimer's disease. That's an incredible challenge to put on a youngster. Stick with us just a minute. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with our co-host, Carol Zernia, we're talking with Sherry Snelling, CEO of Caregiving Club, and we'll talk about Caregiving Club as well. Author of a cast of caregivers, celebrity stories to help you prepare for care. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We are so pleased you are hanging out with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Sherry Snelling is our very special guest talking about caregiving and the challenges they face as caregivers across this country, some 65 million or so. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Sherry, you mentioned earlier, and it's unfortunately so true, that most folks end up as a caregiver uh, when a crisis hits. Uh, Moms in the... Uh, ICU. Grandpa fell and uh, he's in the ER. Uh, Is there a way that uh, you can recommend we we get ahead of that curve? Because we all know uh, the, the people in our lives are going to need care. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book and called it A Cast of Caregivers, because I wanted to show people that there's a lot of different ways and different people we might be caring for in our lives. But again, it's, it's a role that we'll play, but we don't talk about it. And I think that two things. One, we have to do a little education ourselves. We have to understand, for instance, costs of care. You know, if you want to keep a loved one at home and you need to have uh, professional care services come into the home to help, what would that cost? If maybe you can't keep a loved one at home, what would it cost to have them be in all of the different wonderful senior living options that we have now? And then is there is there a plan for that? And I think that if we can start these conversations within our own families and just start to understand, okay, where are the wishes, where's the financial support for this, how are we going to manage this, can we possibly do a care team so the burden doesn't fall on just one person, I think that that's really essential. And I, I do see the good thing is I do see more conversations around caregiving, whereas when I first started in all this about 12 years ago, nobody really talked about it, and it was very isolating, which we know can be detrimental, again, to our own health. Um, But I think that conversation and how to start that conversation, which is one of the chapters in my book, um, is, is really helpful. Getting us past that first hump and having these conversations is really critical. Well, what has been, you know, the biggest surprise or what surprises people when they read their book? What's the big unknown out there that you know that maybe the rest of us don't know? 
Well, I think, first of all, the reaction that I've had to my book has been really tremendous. And I think a lot of people said, you know, yeah, I didn't know how to start the conversation. And one of the reasons I I even started interviewing some of these quote-unquote celebrities is because I wanted to show, number one, we all get into this. Even these celebrities have faced caregiving. And maybe by using that story, that's a great icebreaker for the conversation because very often if we just start peppering our loved ones with questions, there's a defensiveness sometimes, particularly with some of our older parents. Whereas if we can ease into these conversations by saying, gosh, you know, um, Mom, I read this story about Joan London who was a long-distance caregiver for her mom, and, you know, these are the kind of things they face. Now all of a sudden the conversation starts that isn't so, you know, uh, just about you. It's about what happens in, in our lives and in our families. So that, I think, is really critical. Well, did you find anyone who made that promise, I will never put mom, dad, loved one in a, in a home? Did you find anyone who made that promise and then oh, somewhere along yes. the line regretted <laughs> saying it? Yes, yes. In fact, my own mother made that promise to both of her parents, and she did wind up caring for them in their home um, until they both passed. And it was very difficult. I watched her kind of spiral down a bit as a younger woman, you know, where she wasn't having as much time to herself and she was not eating um, and she was stressed and she was concerned. And so, yes, I think definitely. The other thing that I found that was really inspirational to me is that even though, as I said, we know so much about health now and and how to maintain our health, um, finding me time, and I call it me time, and I actually even um, created a program with a, a nonprofit called the Healthy Mondays Campaign to focus on Caregiver Monday, because we really need to find that time for ourselves, and that is the most difficult thing that caregivers are challenged with. They said, how do I do that? How do I possibly get a break? And so finding ways to get that respite care, that respite break, um, and there's a lot of great resources. Some are paid, but some are free. It's interesting because friends, yeah, you see uh, in every neighborhood signs that say mommy's day out, and they offer that kind of respite care for kids. Are you finding that more and more for adults or not? growing. And I think you you make a really great comment, Ron, because we've done really good, you know, work as as mothers, the mommy and me classes, or as you said, the mommy breaks or whatever it is, and also the support of mothers, uh, even online. And I think that now we need to apply that to the caregiving world that we live in and making sure that we are supporting those caregivers so they can get that break is becoming essential. And I am seeing that. What's really fascinating is that employers now are, a lot more employers are offering um, either respite care or ways for caregivers to get a break through the EAP that they have or the employee benefits that they have. And that's inspiring. Well, and that's such a long time coming. I know when I started out, you know, that you could talk to EAP programs and they just didn't have anything. Right. Yeah. And now they're really tuning into, they want to keep people on the job. And productivity, I think, has certainly been a a part of that. But they also realize that keeping their employees healthy and supporting them in these life challenges is critical, you know, for for their bottom line business. So it makes sense for them to offer those programs. Part of the challenge for the employee, uh, very often they try to keep secret Uh, what they're doing because they're afraid if they say, i got to take mom to the doctor, i got to take mom for x-rays, I've got to go pick up lab work, Uh, the employer is going to tell them, that's enough already, we need you to work. Yeah, and I do think that that has kept caregivers from talking about it at work. You feel that stigma. You don't want to be seen as the unproductive employee or the flaky employee, so you just don't say anything about it. I think that's shifting. There's more conversations that are happening, and also there's, again, greater support from the HR departments and even the C-suite in employers to recognize that this is happening in their workplace and to make sure that caregivers know that there's support for them and they can talk out, and also train managers to understand, you know, you're, you have a, just in the same way that we had to kind of train boomers and millennials how to work together in the workplace, well, now we need to have an understanding of what does caregiving need and how do we all be compassionate and supportive if that happens to one of our team members. Well, so what's on your wish list? What's still missing out there for caregivers? If you were going to wish something for these family caregivers, what would it be? 
Oh, my goodness. I mean, so many things. I would have a very long list, but I think primarily it is ensuring that our society, and that includes our policymakers, you know, getting certain tax breaks for, for caregiving situations, um, our employers understanding what's happening in their workplace with their employees, and then just in general, you know, friends and family who really understand what people are going through and how do we become compassionate and, and support them and how do we help them get that me time. If we could, if we could achieve all of those things, I think we'd walk into these caregiving roles with a, a lot less stress on our shoulders. As you think about uh, the challenge that so many folks are facing across this country, I want to remind people who just tuned in, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. We're talking with Sherry Snelling, CEO of Caregiving Club and author of a cast of caregivers, celebrity stories to help you prepare to care. And we haven't asked you really about Caregiving Club. Well, Caregiving Club was actually a a business that I started, and it was primarily to do two things. One is um, I consult with various organizations and companies on caregiving, uh, caregiving needs and services, how to communicate best with the caregiving population, um, and also how to form strategic partnerships that really elevate caregiving and and make sure that we're getting good things uh, to support caregivers. And then the other side is the content creation. So I've developed television shows and uh, podcasts and videos, and I certainly do a lot of writing around caregiving, and it just becomes a, a, a place for my writing and some of those other content pieces to reside and to live. Well, you, you talk a little bit about balance. Um, is, that, is that a myth? Is there really such a thing as balance for caregivers? I don't think so, but let me say this. Um, this notion that, and I think it was probably put more on women's shoulders from years ago, but this notion that we can do it all is the myth. You can't do it all at the same time. And I think actually I'm paraphrasing or quoting Oprah on that. Um, You can find balance as a caregiver, but you have to do two things. And I call it the caregiver's Achilles heel. You have to be able to ask for help and then accept the help. And so by asking for help and finding resources that can give you that break and then accepting when people say, well, let me do this for you. Very often I find caregivers feel no one can care for my loved one as well as I. No one can do this right. I have to be there every minute of the day. That's where we start to fall down that that health well um, and spiral down. So we have to be able to ask for help and accept help. One of the folks we interviewed uh, a couple years ago said that caregivers ought to put a list of chores together so that when someone says, how can I help you, they can tell them what they can do. Here's something I need. Because when that offer is made, the response often is, oh, no, I'm fine. Well, and Ron, I love that you brought that up because one of the areas that I do a lot of consulting in is the technology sector. And a lot of startup businesses are focusing now on caregiving, uh, ways to help caregivers. And one of them is there's a few now online sites that do exactly what you just said. So you could either create this as a caregiver or have someone create it for you. There's a list of things that have to be done. It's put onto a calendar. You invite your family and friends. It's a private community for you. And then those people who are really well-meaning and want to help, they can volunteer. Oh, you need this done on Friday? You need you need your son Joe picked up from soccer? I can do that. You need, you know, a dinner dropped off for your family because you're going to be at the nursing home for your mom? I can do that for you. It's wonderful. I love some of the new technology out there to help caregivers. Well, and that's, it, that's really nice because you can line up, you know, that wish list in the dark of night when you have a, right. a few minutes um, and then people can pick it up in the daytime, in the normal time, uh, and and run with it. So I, I agree. It's, it's a different way of connecting us with the, with the folks without having to be in person or pick up the phone. Absolutely. As you take a look at where caregiving is today, uh, what do you see down the road? Because we're going to run out of caregivers within families. Well, there's so many, as I said, there's so many things being thought of and, you know, uh, researched in the technology sector, everything from robotics, which is actually something Japan has been at the forefront of because they have the most uh, fast escalating, if you will, senior population and a lack of family members to care for them. So robotics, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, the things that we're seeing now with some of these uh, Google Home and Amazon Echo and things, they're 
we're now starting to look at how do we help care for seniors and keep them safe at home through these devices. Um, you know, virtual reality, apps. I mean, it's just there's a plethora of things, I think, that are going to be at our fingertips to help us, and that's really great. Well, and for the, you know, the caregivers themselves, um, you know, are, are, do you think that our policies will change where we get a true long-term care system uh, that, that supports families? Yeah, you know, it's so hard to predict politics these days, as we all know. Um, my hope is that there has been different legislation that has been proposed in Congress. Um, unfortunately, we haven't really passed a lot of significant things. But I do think, again, I think as more and more people are touched by caregiving, I mean, we have this huge growing silver tsunami of older people needing care, less people now being able to care for them from a family perspective. I don't think that our legislators are going to be able to really ignore this. They're going to have to be part of the solution. Well, that's what we certainly hope so. Well, um, Sherry, if people want to find you or your book, how would they do that? Well, you can certainly go to my website, which is caregivingclub.com, and then on there you'll find, um, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, and you can follow me. There's a whole page on my book, and you can either go directly to an Amazon.com or a Barnes & Noble or click on that page on my book, and it'll send you right there Perfect. for all the different things I do. Got to mm-hmm. stop you right there. You're a great guest. We'd love to have you on again, and we will be back in touch, Sherry Snelling. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carol and Ron. It was great talking to you. Take care. Thank you. Sherry Snelling, CEO, Caregiving Club, and more. Up next, Take 10 right here on Caregiver SOS On Air with Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We're so pleased you are sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. We bring you Take 10 at the close of every Caregiver SOS On Air program. And we are joined by a nationally known psychotherapist and an expert in not only caregiving but addiction as well. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us. And, Jamie, Carol's got a great topic for us. Great, as usual. As usual. So we've been talking a lot about technology lately and it obviously you know there's all this talk in the news about artificial intelligence and virtual reality and so there's there's a lot of technology that's coming down the path uh, for caregiving and I'm wondering is there is there what does that mean for us what does that mean is caregivers allowing technology to help and what does that mean for the care recipient well, that's a great, great uh, question, to be frank with you, because I know it's, it's inevitable. I mean, technology to support family caregiving is, is the new craze. Let's face it. There's 90 million, I hear, estimates uh, up to, including caregivers of special needs children, uh, caregivers in the country. So they're really, in terms of supply and demand, uh, it's really difficult to meet that sort of demand. So technology is the, the next Step. Uh, I was at a conference. Um, we all know Gail Hunt, right? Yes, with the Alliance for, a, National Alliance for Caregiving. You bet, you bet. And I was having a conversation with her about the inevitable nature of caregiving and whether it was a good or bad thing. And I, I understand that caregivers, patients, and healthcare providers now need to look to te- technology um, just to make people's lives easier. I just believe that I'm not sure that the cure is better than the sickness. How's that? Well, one example that uh, 
Carol and I were talking about uh, in, in a caregiver, caregiving situation, or maybe in a nursing home, is to have a, a virtual reality uh, opportunity to tour your childhood home. Or your, or where you used to live, or take a walk with your dog that's you see, no longer here. I think that's a great idea, and I think that in a skilled nursing or assisted living facility or anywhere that, where there is actual social programming that's already a part of the milieu, I think the technology works fabulous, and your idea of exactly that is an amazing tool, and it would just be just what the doctor ordered. Where I believe technology falls short is when we bring it to our home environment to replace the human touch. Well, in, in the example, we also had an example of that. I was, I was sharing that I had been in a conference where they had an in-home device, you know, that reminds you to take your meds, eat right, take a walk. And within, you know, a few days, the man is, has given his monitor to some kid to run around the neighborhood because he doesn't want to take a walk. But he doesn't want his kid to know, his son to know who bought him the device, that he's not actually out walking. No, exactly. I think there is more shame and stigma in, t- in terms of us using technology as a replacement for humans as well. Um, I also believe that it kind of lets us off the hook a little bit too much. I know in China there have... Uh, new laws and regulations, literally, that can imprison a family member if they don't take care of their loved one on a personal, well-coordinated basis. And I know that America is a, uh, basically a country that kind of detached. We're not community-minded. And so I think that technology kind of takes us off the hook of what we really need to do, which is to connect with our loved ones. So you'd feel the same way about robots that provide that warm touch and cuddly feeling? I do, I do. Exactly. You know, robots in my mind conjure up the Jetsons. Of course, that conjures up my age, Ron, really quickly. Well, I remember the Jetsons too. Yes, you and I both would well, for I, sure. I, I don't remember. Who doesn't? Everybody remembers the Jetsons because they're still rerunning it on TV. That's true. But remember when the Jetsons? It looked like it was like a snowman with an engine in the back, and it would come up to you, and then the stomach would open up, and out would come a drink, or out would come. Yeah, a food. I, I want that. Yeah, you may want it because you have a lot of social connections. In fact, you're one of the top influential people in senior care in this country. People come to you and they know you. That's right, and I want Rosie the robot to bring me a drink. Right, it's perfect for you, Carol. You got it. But when you have it at home, alone with your loved one, and that's their form of stimuli, um, it's problematic. Well, in Japan, in fact, you were at a presentation where they demonstrated some of these robots. Well, it was a robot, but it was a robot pet, right? It's a seal that, you know, will make purring sounds and, and be happy when you pet it and respond like a, a real animal, but it was, you know, fairly indestructible in terms of being able to hurt it. Now, that one really galls me because there's so many dogs, cats out there that need a home that really could connect. And I so believe that animals are wonderful uh, if you will, you know, caring tool if for somebody who lives alone or can have that sort of uh, a friendship with the, uh, the the feline world. I just believe that when it's a robot now, we've really sunk to new levels. That's, inter- that's interesting. Now, you said the word shame and stigma associated with technology. Do you think that as a society that is so enthralled with technology, smart technology, that we will be looking down eventually on families who don't embrace this technology to solve problems. That's interesting. I was kind of thinking the other way around. I was thinking of a mother saying, you know, I haven't talked to my son or daughter in a while, but this wonderful, you know, robot comes into my room, you know, every few hours and, uh, and says, hi, mom, hi, dad, in their voice. And at some point in time, the shame and stigma I think it's going to come to, what are you really doing with mom or dad? Ah, so the other way around. Okay, interesting. But I could see it happening the other way as well. Yes, I can too. I I certainly can. I mean, listen, the trends in caregiving right now, as far as technology goes, are endless. I've seen it, you know, with GPS technology, uh, personal uh, emergency response systems we've seen, as you said, medication reminders. They're all there, and the applications are coming out fast and furiously. But we always have to start. We have to remember this, at least we do in therapy, that you have to start where the patient is at and not where you think they need to be at. Because that's where you lose them. That's that story you just had where granddad just gave the technology to somebody to run outside and play with it. 
I told Carol about another one where a doctor prescribed a pedometer for one of his patients. True story here in San Antonio. Uh, and she came back a month later and he asked about uh, looking at the pedometer and he went back and checked and she had an amazing number of footsteps. Only discovered later in conversation she'd been putting it on her dog. That's funny. I mean, that's ironic. Now, here's a realistic story, which is even worse. Um, I've seen seniors with, you know, Fitbits and, and things that count the steps. The sad part is when you sit down with them, you say, wow, you've got 6,000 steps. That's amazing. They said, yes, I went around my house. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath about 30 times because there was nobody there, and I was depressed. Wow. Oh, see, that's different. So you're measuring different things. That is depressing. Well, you well know, in, but, but in, I, context, it, in context, it may work. I'm sorry, Carol. Go but ahead. the steps are healthy. The steps are healthy, keeping you alive to be lonely, which will kill you. It's like 15 cigarettes a day. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think this is a perfect illustration, though, um, you know, about there are the goods, uh, the good, the good side of technology and the yep. downside of technology. It's like the Will Smith movie where the robot saves him instead of the kid. The car goes under the water. There's a child in it. And the robot calculates that the adult has a better um, survival chance than the small child and saves him instead, which, yeah, you I know, sets be- off the whole thing. But, but I mean, but there is that, there, you know, because we haven't even begun to think about, there's a lot of ethical dilemmas that are inherent in the use of technology. Well, artificial intelligence is the, the boom industry now. Well, and, 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 and they're also saying we should be terrified. I am. I am. Are you terrified? Okay, good. We're all terrified. Excellent. But I, but I don't want to be Debbie Downer as far as technology goes because I truly believe in, in the in the applications that both of you are speaking about, and I think it can enhance and enrich the caregiving experience. My issue is only that it doesn't replace the caregiving experience. Right, and and maybe it's like that our diet, you know, and this is this food is good for you. It's bad for you. You know, everything in moderation. So a little bit of technology to help out could be a good thing, but all technology, no human touch, not so good. And no, I, and, go ahead, but, Jamie. No, I was, I've been at Boomer conferences so often, I think that should be the informed consent that goes out with these brand-new technologies. Is This is how you incorporated it within the family caregiving uh, world. Yeah, can we, can we apply that also to technology, gaming technology for our kids, that everything in moderation... Absolutely. I've got a seven-year-old right now that is totally, totally just uh, like a heat-seeking missile. Turn the (laughs) tablet off. Right. That's right. Hey, Jamie, thank you. Flat out of time. Uh, As we think about uh, you coming on every week on Take 10, how do folks get a hold of you if they'd like to do that? Well, they can always get me through anybody at Caregiver SOS, which I hope they're frequenting often, or you can get me through DRJ, which is Dr. J at Dr. Jamie. Dot com, D-R-J-A-M-I-E. Thank you very much. Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. Ron Aaron for Carol Zernil and Dr. Jamie Heisman. You hear us Sundays at 6 p.m. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.